law, liberty, and life in Jesus, knowing how it all works, this, <laughs> part 17, the title this morning, Finding the Pursuit of Righteousness, a Delight Rather Than a Chore. The kind of freedom we're going to be looking at is the freedom of desire, free to desire God, not just to obey God out of duty. You can't create that kind of heart. Freedom of delight in God rather than just earning by works a standard of holiness and law. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Hope you have a Bible. Always bring your Bible. If you have one at home, open it up. Galatians 5, 1 to 7. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourselves circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. That's quite a sentence. Again, he's going to repeat it. Again, I testify, verse 3, to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. It's all or nothing with the law. Four, you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You don't know Jesus at all. You have fallen from grace. He doesn't say they never had grace, but he says they've fallen from grace. Five. For we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. I want to look at that sentence. It's a great one. Six. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. He doesn't just say what matters is being loving toward people. It's faith. You have to have the faith in Christ manifesting itself. So this isn't, this isn't promoting humanitarianism. Just be loving to people and that shows you're a really good person, a good Christian. No. The faith you have, the faith in Christ Jesus, that has to manifest itself outwardly through love. Seven. You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? Let's pray. And so here we are studying the truth of your word. We don't want anything to prevent us from glorying in Christ Jesus and the wonderful change you make in our hearts by your spirit. And so give us understanding of your word and give us a love for applying it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, verse 1. I know it's a bit much to review very much when you've done a study of a whole book, but verse 1 is really the natural link with what Paul had just been teaching at the end of chapter 4. 5.1 says, 5.1 says, For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So that verse, 5-1, it's a, 
It's a simplified version, a summary of this analogy, this story Paul has been teaching in chapter 4 about Hagar, remember? The slave woman giving birth to Ishmael, the slave. And Sarah, the free woman, and our heritage in one line or the other. And so the analogy that Paul was making in that passage was that we, in Christ Jesus, are all in the line of promise. Abraham and Sarah had Isaac purely as a result of the work of God and God's promise. We're not in the line of slavery through Ishmael, Hagar and Ishmael. So Paul, Paul was reminding us there that there's no future inheritance in Old Covenant religion. It, it just leads to bondage and slavery. It won't get you to God. It's faith in God's promise, like Abraham and Sarah, the birth of Isaac. That's what, that's what we studied, and that's what 5.1 is a summary of. Look carefully at that first verse. I think probably everybody in this room, we, we want to know God's will, right? I mean, we, we, we want to discover how to live and to walk in God's will for our lives. And Paul tells us something very specific. Here's God's will for sure. God wills your freedom. He wants freedom in Christ Jesus to be a dominant factor in your daily living. That's 5-1. Try to remember how we finished last week's teaching. Freedom means different things to different people. There are foolish people who think freedom means being able to live without any restraint. Free to live without responsibility. Freed, freedom to avoid self-control. Freedom to indulge all of our own desires. Of course, that, that kind of freedom is, it's a myth. I mean, that kind of freedom isn't freedom at all. It's the exact opposite. It leads just to bondage, the worst kind of bondage. Freedom means freedom to, to become. Freedom to desire the right things. Freedom for the Christian means freedom to do God's will, and to enjoy God's will. Freedom to do God's will, and freedom to enjoy God's will. Here's the sentence. It's freedom of ability and freedom of desire linked together. Faith working through love. Freedom of ability and freedom of desire linked together. That, that's what Paul says in that first verse. Listen, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. Keep standing firm in that freedom. Don't be enslaved to bondage again. So in other words, once you have started out free in Christ's righteousness, you, you'd think that'd be the easiest thing in the world. And Paul says, no, you, you really do have to Stand your ground in that freedom. I see Paul saying that there's a way of kind of trying to live the Christian life from a wrong foundation entirely. That freedom in Christ isn't just self-sustaining. There's a way of trying to live the Christian life that, that'll be full of drudgery, dry rot. There's a kind of attempted Christian life that's more like bondage than joy. How does that happen? 
Paul seems to indicate it can happen to people like we. How does that happen? How does grace become threatened by bondage, duty, merit, weariness? How does it happen? Okay, point number one. How professing Christians can wear the yoke of bondage even when they think they're wearing the yoke of Christ. It's in verses 2 through 4. Take note. When, when you see words like that, it's like when Jesus in the old King James says, Verily, verily. You know when you see, take note, Paul's saying, here's something that a lot of people miss. Don't miss this. Take note. I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is, here's the second thing, obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are, look at it again, alienated from Christ. Nowhere near Christ. You can sing worship courses and be miles from Christ. You have fallen from grace. I mean, there's just a lot of scary stuff in those verses. Fallen from grace. What strong words. And, and just for adding, just for adding the practice of circumcision to their profession of Christ. How can that be when, look carefully now, you have to think here. How can this be when in just a matter of seconds, Paul is going to say this. He's going to say, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Now think about it. How can Paul say circumcision means nothing in verse 6 and then say it can be falling from grace in verses 4 and 5? And you feel like saying, Paul, make up your mind. Which is it? Remember also that Paul had Timothy, whose mother was Jewish. Paul had Timothy circumcised in order to have better inroads to working among the Jewish people. How are we going to put all this together? And there is no contradiction. Paul had Timothy circumcised as a means of outreach, not as a means of salvation. Verse 6 stands true. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything in Christ Jesus. But verses 4 and 5 are also true. Circumcision or any other part of the law as a means of earning your standing with God. That's suicide, Paul says. That's being cut off from grace. Paul's saying you can't have it both ways. Or maybe to put it in the analogy of chapter 4, we can't both be of Hagar, the slave woman, and of Sarah, the free woman. We either rely on divine promise and provision, or we rely on human accomplishment and wisdom. But you can't do both, Paul says. You've got to pick your line. The inheritance of justification 
only comes through divine promise. That's Paul's point. There's more than mere outward circumcision at issue here. Paul's talking about two contrary religious systems. That's his whole point when he says in 5.3, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he's, he's obligated to do the entire law. I mean, circumcision as presented by these Jewish false teachers to these new Gentile believers in Galatia, circumcision is only representative of, of a whole covenant that has its roots in establishing ourselves before God by our own works rather than his own provision. All of this covenant, it's about, it's about that much in your Bible. All of that why is it in there? It's in there to show, see that whole old covenant with all those observations and all those works and all those observances and all those rituals? You see that? It takes that much history for God to say, it won't work. That's what you've got there. See this? This won't work. That's why all of this, what it's designed to do is to get you ready for this. Jesus is coming. The Passover lamb. You want to put yourself under the law. He says, don't think it's just circumcision. You want to go that route? Here you go. You obey everything. Perfectly, by the way. That's the issue. If you're going to start paying God off, you've got the weight of the whole law on your shoulders all your life. It's not just about circumcision. The whole thing. And that's bondage. That's bondage. Okay, point number two. A practical description of religious bondage for Gentile Christians in 2022. I'd like to take just a careful look at the single idea in Galatians 5.3. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he's, he's obligated, you have to do this, obligated to do the entire law. And I believe that buried in that little, perhaps obscure verse, there also lies a yoke of bondage, not just for Jewish people, but for us, for non-Jewish people, who would, who would never dream of keeping the laws of ethnic Judaism from the Old Testament. The, the key idea is in that last phrase. He's obligated to do the whole law. Literally, in the Hebrew, that he's a debtor to do the whole law. Works righteousness is all or nothing. It's all or nothing. That's debtor religion. There is no delight in being in debt. Any debt. Debt kind of hangs over you like a gray cloud. It takes joy out of life. It takes spontaneity out of life. And more than anything else, it takes freedom out of life. Remember, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Galatians 5.1. And so this picture of debt, we get it. 
maybe the best picture of all of the opposite of freedom. I have a debt, I have a mortgage, I must make payments. In fact, the one thing I must do is make those payments. There's certainly things we'd all rather do with that money. Hawaii calls. The cruise ship is pulling up to the dock. I can't. Well, I've, I've got, I have to take care of the debts first. The debt comes first. I'm not free to do a lot of things because paying back my debt is what I have to do. And Paul looks at these precious new Gentile converts in Galatia and Christians in Newmarket, Ontario, and his blood boils at these Jewish false teachers because he sees a whole new group of Christians who are being enticed into a religious system designed to pay God off, get out of debt, rather than let Jesus do that for them. Right at this point comes strong application of this text for our own lives. The Christian life, the Christian life will not work from a foundation of sheer obligation. It won't work that way. And I'm afraid millions of Christians try and make it work that way. There creeps into all of our hearts the subtle motivation to merit God's free work of grace on our behalf. In our text, all the works of the law, including circumcision, they're the currency used to pay God off, to get out of debt. But if I pay back grace, grace isn't grace anymore. That's exactly what Paul means when he says 5-2, take note. I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you at all. And it's not just Jewish people that need to know this. We all need to consider this. You, you can have a debtor's heart even if you have no knowledge whatsoever of the Jewish law. Anytime you just feel obligated to do something for God simply because you owe it. You're trying to merit His favor rather than trusting what he's done for you in Christ, you end up alienated from Christ. The real tragedy of merit spirituality is that it robs God of the glory he deserves for the riches of his grace. Maybe I can illustrate it. Pretend it's not COVID. Imagine that you have Rini and me over for dinner. And you've gone to quite a bit of trouble. There's a lovely meal served in a very gracious setting. You've got candles on the table. When it's all over, just before we leave, I stop in the doorway and I say to you, what a lovely evening. This is one of the nicest evenings Rini and I have had in a long time. You made us feel so special. The food was wonderful. Fellowship was great. And then to your horror, I take up my wallet 
And I go, boy, that roast beef, that must have cost you plenty. That dessert, out of this world. And then there was your time. Probably spent all day getting ready, so say 28 bucks an hour. I figure the whole thing's about 300 bucks. Thank you so much for having us over. Are you pleased with that? I mean, once you get over the shock, the first thing you'll think, and this is very important, is I must be about the most pride-filled person on the face of the earth. I simply can't stand to bear the weight of allowing someone else to do something like that for me. I won't, I won't allow myself to be in the red to you. And even more troubling when you stop and think about it, is the insult my actions are to you. When I take out my wallet after dinner at your house, I'm, I'm twisting your intentions in this whole thing. I'm missing the design of the whole event. I'm robbing your character of this gracious impulse. I mean, grace, by definition, is always distorted and twisted when you try and pay for it. Paying for grace belittles and blasphemes the giver. And on the cross, God is the giver. God so loved the world that he, what's the next word? Gave. So, to return to our text, the one who wants to go back under the law, of which circumcision was just a first sign, puts himself in the place of being a debtor to God. And, and keeping the law is the currency that he uses to pay his debt. And there's no freedom of being a debtor. Remember, 5-1. It's for freedom Christ set us free. This debtor mentality can manifest itself in countless ways in our own lives. Sometimes it's manifested not only in our works, but in our attitudes, in our questions, in our objections. Why do I have to give so much money to the church? I've had this one, not in COVID, but years ago. Where does the Bible say? They think they're brilliant when they say stuff like this. Where does the Bible say, Pastor John, you have to go to church twice on Sunday? <laughs> Unbelievable wit. Let me just take that last question, just for an example. Usually do, people do think they're clever for asking it. Where does the Bible say I have to go to church on Sunday night? And of course, the Bible doesn't say you have to go to church on Sunday night at all, ever. The question is hard to answer, not because it's brilliant, but because it's so ridiculous. It comes, and here's the point, it comes out of this works mentality. For the child of God, going to church isn't a have-to issue. Where does the Bible say, I have to go to church twice on Sunday? Well, for the child of God, those things aren't have-to issues, or at least they shouldn't be. They're, they're want-to issues. Here are some have-to issues. I have to pay taxes. That's a have-to issue. 
I have to pay my mortgage. I have to periodically go to the dentist. But there are other issues that aren't have-to issues. In fact, there are other issues that are absolutely ruined when you turn them into have-to issues. Spending time with my family isn't a have-to issue. It's a delight-to issue. Spending time with dear friends. Rini and I are going to go out for, for brunch after church this morning with friends. If we sit down and go, okay, let's get this over with. Well, that's not a have-to issue. That's a want-to issue. Do you see how you can't confuse those things? I mean, I'm sorry to be blunt. A husband making love to his wife shouldn't be a have-to issue, right? It should be a, a want-to issue. There's no delight whatsoever in rolling over in bed and saying, well, let's get this over with. Sorry. <laughs> that shouldn't be a have-to issue. That's not the way love works. The law can never birth delight in my walk with God. Remember I said at the very beginning, I said there's that who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God being saved. That's one kind of freedom. And I said that's not the kind of freedom we're studying. And now you're getting real close to it. The freedom we're talking about now is the freedom created by the Spirit to want to rather than have to follow Jesus. You can't produce that. You can't produce that. Ezekiel, I will, I will put a, a new heart in you of flesh, not stone. It feels the desire for God. The Holy Spirit does that. That's the last point I want to get to now. We're almost done. How to delight. Point number three. How to delight in obeying the truth. I want to look at three verses. Galatians 5, 5 through 7. For we eagerly await... I want you just now, notice that word right there. We eagerly await through the Spirit, okay, there's the Holy Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. You were running well. That's what Paul says to these Christians. What, what in the world's happening here? Who, who prevented you? That's prevented. Hindered is another translation. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? Those verses are important because I think they address a question many might be inwardly asking. It, the question would be something like this. If the kind of law religion Paul describes is half as dangerous as he says, well, then where's the incentive to holiness? If Jesus really did pay it all, like the song says, why do I have to make any effort whatsoever to be holy? It's all done. I mean, isn't that what you're saying, Paul? It's not works. It's not trying to earn through merit. It's receiving by faith. 
Who cares about how holy I am? Who cares about how obedient I am? Let's look at this. Here's what I want to do. I want to start with verse 7 and then work backwards through 6 and 5. You would think that devoting yourself to the law of God would help with this whole issue of holiness, wouldn't you? Studying the law, memorizing it, being careful to every punctilious little detail, doing it. You'd think that would help with this whole issue of obedience, but Paul says it doesn't. As these Christians are poised, these new Gentile Christians in Galatia, they're just on the very edge of turning back to the old covenant, the law, circumcision. Paul says they're actually being prevented. See that right there? Prevented regarding the truth. This establishes everything we've been studying so far. The, the, the debtor mentality, the merit mentality can never produce freedom and life and holiness. All it can do is prevent people from walking in the truth. You wouldn't think that's the way it works, but it is. Why? Well, because unless the heart is changed by the spirit, which he's going to talk about, unless the heart is changed by the spirit to find delight in obedience and freedom in obedience, well, no one's going to continue in obedience for very long. Why would they? It's a chore. It's a drag. It's a debt. Now look quickly at, I said the next two, now look quickly at five and six. For we, I said look at this word, eagerly, for we eagerly await, here's what I want to look at, through the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. So first note, first note, that when the Holy Spirit is at work in a person's life, faith will be productive. Verse 6 talks about faith working. Faith working through love. This isn't the debtor's work. It's loving work. Faith working through love. It's, see what's happened? The Holy Spirit comes. Now my faith works, but it's not working through law. It's working through desire. There's the change we've been looking for. It's working through love. Love for God. Love for others. It, it, those, those, those deeds that were so burdensome under the law that come tumbling out of my life through desire. That's the change we want. That's the change we can't accomplish for ourselves. Eager. We eagerly await. Let me just wrap up with a simple illustration of how holiness is enhanced rather than diminished when it's motivated by love instead of law. When I was just a teen, my later teen years, living at home, it was frequently my assignment to shovel our driveway and, and sidewalk. And I can remember many, many times, especially on a Saturday after a heavy prairie snowfall when it's minus 26, 
My dad used to delight. He had a shaver. Shavers back then, it was like starting a Volkswagen. And my dad would just delight on a Saturday morning with a grin on his face to come into my bedroom at seven o'clock, take his shaver as he was shaving his face and I had a metal framed old bed and he would put the shaver rested on the metal frame. So it just went And he would say, time to shovel the driveway. And you felt like saying, you know, the snow will be there at 9.30. Up I'd get with that shovel, all bundled up, the sidewalk, the driveway. And I hated that when he came in on Saturday morning with his shaver and made me, had to, law, made me get up and shovel the driveway. When I was in my late teens and still living at home, my mother had terrible problems with her back, discs in her neck, and she for many months wore a, one of those collars, heavy collar, and in fact was in serious danger of losing the use of many of her major muscles. I remember when an evangelist came. I wasn't that impressed with the evangelist, but people came forward and he prayed for my mom and my mom was instantly healed. And I haven't seen instant miracles very often in my ministry, but I did there. But before that, before she was healed, I had gone somewhere, I don't know where, probably playing with friends, came back and there had been a heavy snowfall and I remember seeing my mom with her boots and heavy coat and that heavy collar and she was trying to push the snow down the sidewalk. I felt terrible about that. And I went right away running up, got the shovel, shoveled the whole sidewalk and this was, I'm talking snow. It was ours. Shoveled the whole sidewalk, the whole driveway, and, and never was bothered doing it for a second. What was the difference? Hated it Saturday morning. Felt fruitful and productive and happy doing it for my mom. What was the difference? Well, the difference was that second snow shoveling job was motivated by love not law. Nobody told me I had to go out and shovel. I wanted to. I wanted to. That's a small illustration. Now, I can will that when it's somebody I love here on earth, but pleasing God that way takes a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Two kinds of freedom. One is being saved from the wrath of God who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. That's what you were singing about. You're not going to hell. You're saved. The kind of freedom I'm preaching about is now, as you live your Christian life, the freedom to delight in God's will. And you can no more manufacture that yourself than you could save yourself from your sins. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit. For in Christ Jesus, 
neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters, faith, make sure you're in the faith, working through, working through love. Faith and works are never contradictory when the motive is love. That's the secret. Never forget it. And everyone said, <laughs> these are such important subjects, the distinctions. It shouldn't surprise us that it's involved because the plan of salvation came from the deepest, most vast mind in all the universe, the mind of Father God. And we delight to open up your word and see the words of God. And so make this truth plain in our hearts. We want to not just pursue righteousness, we want to prefer righteousness. That the things relating to our Christian life never become mere duty. I have to do this, 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 but I delight. Bless the truth of your word to our hearts. Keep us all growing in this grace of transformed affections. We do hate these masks, but we do love coming to church more. In Jesus' name I pray, and everyone said, Amen.